0: Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Neil and I'm one of the pastors here at The Edge and we are so glad to have you join us today. So it was interesting to grow up as a religious skeptic, but also to have a grandma who I knew prayed all the time. She prayed for me all the time and she read her Bible morning, noon and night, and I'm not exaggerating at all. She also wanted to make sure to tell me Bible stories anytime she came to our house. As a kid, sometimes that made me feel a little bit less than in the faith department because no matter what I tried to do to create those feelings and that sense of faith, it just didn't happen for me. It got to the point that my grandma would pay me to memorize Bible verses. I know that sounds hilarious, but it works. And uh, it worked really just for one verse. And it's the most famous verse in all of scripture, John 3, 16, which of course says, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life i heard just enough of the bible from my grandma to be scared of going to hell but it honestly wasn't enough for me to cross over and actually believe for myself because even though i looked at my grandma's life and and she didn't do anything that went against her words Her life really aligned well with what she said she believed. But I also had parents and friends who would say things like, well, you can't believe everything you read. And and that stuck with me. And and maybe you've said that, and maybe you've thought that or heard that from other trusted people yourself. So occasionally I'd have well-meaning Christians come up to me and they'd say things like, well, you should just believe the Bible. Or the Bible says this, or the Bible says that, and I would think, well, a lot of things say a lot of things, and why should I believe what the Bible says more than all those other things? So what is it that makes this Bible different? It almost seemed to me at the time, growing up, that, that people who claimed to be Christians had to set aside their critical thinking to believe this thing, to have faith. And really, it made me want to be more entrenched in my skepticism than ever before. But then at the same time, I couldn't deny the reality of some weird things that happened in my life over the course of a few years. I had several, several dreams that there's no, there's no way I could have just conjured up. And I'm also sure that it wasn't because I had too much sugar before I went to bed those nights. The dreams were different. They were vivid. There, there was a sense of importance in them that they were significant. And I'll share one of those a little bit later today. The question ultimately that I started to wrestle with was, who is Jesus? And I'd really encourage you to start considering that now if you haven't done that yet. Because Jesus made some astounding claims about himself. Um, One of those claims we looked at last week as we kicked off this new series that we're in called Alpha and it was this statement um, in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then he said something that's extremely exclusive and makes a whole lot of people angry. He said, And no one comes to the Father except through me. Understand very clearly that Jesus was claiming that he was the only path to God. He was saying that not all paths are the same, no matter what people say, and there's absolutely nothing that humans can do. There's no human on earth that can figure out how to be good enough or earn their way to heaven on their own, but it's only, you only go to heaven based on the sacrifice that Jesus made, and then we receive salvation from our sins through faith in him. But we will readily acknowledge that just because someone says something doesn't make it true. There needs to be more evidence than what someone says, right? And if that's true for other things that, that we read or other things that we see online, then it certainly should also apply to big issues like matters of faith. Today, we're going to look at three pieces of evidence that speak to the reality of what we hear at the Edge Church unashamedly believe and it's this, that Jesus Christ is God and that all that he claimed about himself and his mission was true 2,000 years ago and it's also still true today. And here is the very first piece of evidence that we'd love for you to consider. Jesus' grave is empty. It's an empty grave. So what that means is no matter what you think about Jesus, you have to at least pause when you reflect on this idea that the place where Jesus was buried is empty. It was empty three days after he died and, and was buried, and it's empty today. So even skeptics have to acknowledge that that is worthy of consideration. That is different. That makes, there's, that makes this story very different. But Jesus actually said this would happen. He made a lot of claims about this. The Gospel of Matthew chapter 17, verses 22 and 23, it says, When they came together in Galilee, he said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and on the third day, he will be raised to life. Now, a couple things stand out to me about that. The first thing is, the whole third-person talk is odd to us, right? So I think we can acknowledge that that's funny. But I think we also have to acknowledge at the same time that that is very specific. He's saying, I'm going to be killed, and on the third day, I'll be raised to life. And then after Jesus was crucified and died and buried, we pick up um, on that fateful Sunday morning in the book of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. It says, after the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, how would you like to be the other Mary, right? Uh, The other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid for I know that you're looking for Jesus who is crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him now, I've told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy and ran to tell his disciples, Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Right after that, the guards had to report what had happened to the authorities. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, They gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say, His disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. That is an elaborate plot there is a lot of scheming going on to cover something up, right? Now, think about this. This claim of the resurrection of Jesus would actually be quite easy to get around, right? It'd be easy to refute an empty tomb by just what? Producing a body. If a body had been produced, Christianity would be done for it. It would have been sunk before it even set sail. Or if the original followers of Jesus, all they had to do was recant what they said. All they would have to do is say, actually, what we originally said about Jesus rising from the dead, it wasn't true. And it all would have stopped. And that leads us to the next piece of corroborating evidence. That Jesus' followers were radically changed. His followers were radically changed. I want you to think about this. In all the accounts of the Gospels, when we see Jesus being led to to the cross to be crucified, all of his followers either betrayed him, disowned him, denied him, stood at a distance. Now, these same people who were too afraid to show up in this place, the same ones who watched his crucifixion at a distance and denied him and, and lied about him, they were radically changed people. They were so radically changed, not just in belief, but in their actions, that they couldn't stop talking about what they now knew was the central fact of all of their realities, that the tomb was empty and that Jesus was alive. This changed everything for them, and they couldn't help but tell the unbelieving world what they had come to believe. Acts chapter 2, of course, records the beginning of the Christian church in Jerusalem, but Acts chapter 1 is what turned these terrified deniers into fearless proclaimers. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Luke, um, the author of the Gospel of Luke, he uh, wrote this. He says, In my former book, Theophilus, he's referring to the Gospel of Luke, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the Apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you've heard me speak about. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. This was an incredibly formative moment, right? And then just three chapters later in the book of Acts, those same disciples were dragged before the Jewish Supreme Court to to answer to these judges who didn't like this story that they were sharing. And they boldly answered the judges. And this is what the court noted. In Acts chapter 4, verse 13, it says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John, and they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. They weren't just changed momentarily. They were changed permanently for the rest of their lives. And according to church history, um, not all these things are recorded in the Bible, which I think it actually lends more to the believability. According to church history, every single one of the disciples except for John was killed for their faith in Jesus. I love what the author Josh McDowell wrote about this. He said, yes, many people have died for a lie, but they did so believing it was the truth. If the resurrection had not happened, obviously the disciples would have known it. Therefore, they would not only have died for a lie, here's the catch, but they would have known it was a lie. It would be hard to find a group of men anywhere in history who would die for a lie if they knew it was a lie. And here's the final evidence that we're going to talk about today, that Jesus is God and all that he said about himself and his mission that was true 2,000 years ago is true today, is that Jesus' light and life shines on and through people today. Jesus' light and his life shines on and through people today. Earlier, I told you about a, a series of dreams that I had, and I, I said that I would share one of them, and, and, and this is what it is, because it was extremely meaningful to me. When I was about 12 years old, I remember uh, going on our annual family trip to the Outer Banks of North Carolina and we stopped at my grandma's house like we always did to stay overnight. And that night I remember falling asleep And in my dream, I walked into the house that I actually lived in, and I noticed that it was pretty much all dark, and it was getting dark outside. And I walked uh, through the main floor to the stairs, and I got to the top of the stairs, and I remember standing on the landing just for a minute, and I looked way down the hallway to where my bedroom was because this incredible glowing light was coming out of my, my room. And I remember in the dream thinking, I don't remember leaving the light on. So I made my way down the hallway, and when I got to the entrance of my room, I turned the corner, and in the, place, in the place where the light bulb would have been in the lamp that sat by my bed was Jesus, and he was standing in the place where the light bulb was, and his arms were out like this, and I remember him looking at me, and he just had the kindest, most welcoming expression on his face. Then I woke up. I immediately walked downstairs and my grandma was sitting at the kitchen table and she was eating breakfast. And she had her Bible open as she always did. And I told my grandma my dream. And she just smiled and she said, I pray for you each day. And then she opened the Bible and she read this to me. John chapter 8, verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life i know today and it makes me emotional that the lord has pursued me and my stubborn my skeptical heart my whole life and i'm so thankful that he, he did and continues to to this day but i'm also grateful For the light of Jesus that I experience through people when they allow God to shine through them. A few days ago, one of the brightest lights that I know burned out when my Aunt Sandy died. She went through a lot of things in her life, but she always kept first things first. She was probably one of the very purest people I've ever known. She refused to say a bad word about anyone, and she could have. She would have actually had the right to do that. But she didn't. No matter what they did to her, she just followed the Lord diligently her entire life. One of the last times that I saw her was just over six years ago when she came to say goodbye to her little brother, my dad, not long before he died in September of 2015. And that day, she jumped on the trampoline in my backyard with my three girls. She was 79 years old at the time. My Aunt Sandy was evidence to me and to everyone around her that Jesus is God and that he is alive and he shines through his followers today. The question I have for you is this. Who is Jesus to you? If you've never called out to Jesus before, you can do it today, wherever you are. You can do it in the house church you're in. You can do it all by yourself in your car. You can do it... um, at lunch, at school, wherever you are, just know this, he is good and he is for you and he's pursuing you. And he won't leave you hanging like people can do. He'll respond to you. John chapter 6, verse 37, it says, All those the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. I think for so many of us, at our core, our core desire is to be wanted by someone, to be loved by someone, someone who won't leave us. Jesus, He's he's that one. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He would never drive you away. So, what does it look like to come to Jesus? Um, I think sometimes we can make it too complicated theologically. It really looks as simple as Romans 10 13, which says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So, wherever you are, however old you are, um, no matter how much religious uh, baggage or background or experience you have, I just ask you to call on him today. You could say something like this, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God. And I believe that you came to save me from my sins. And I thank you today for your grace and for your forgiveness. And I ask you to make me new today and through the rest of my life. Amen. In just a minute, We're going to close with a final worship song. But before we do that, we have some questions that we like to give you to consider in your house churches or wherever you're gathering this week. And the first one is this. What is your main takeaway from the sermon today? The second one is, what persuades you the most when it comes to your faith? Is it reading the Bible? Or is it maybe the stories or examples of others? And why is that? Finally, The question really that we started out with, who do you say Jesus is? Who is he? And how did you get to that place? May God bless you. Have a great week and we'll see you next time.